welcome to Translating the World with Rainer Schulte, a podcast of the Center for Translation Studies at the University of Texas at Dallas. The center was founded by Rainer Schulte, who is the editor of Translation Review since 1978, and he's the co-founder of the American Literary Translators Association. I am Sarah Valenci, the creator and host of this podcast. It is my pleasure to welcome you to be with us for this special episode with guest host Shelby Vincent, who will be in conversation with our special guest today, Javier Garcia del Moral. Shelby is a research associate in the Center for Translation Studies at the University of Texas at Dallas. She is also managing editor of Translation Review, as well as lecturer in the university's School of Arts and Humanities and a translator from the Spanish. Our special guest, Javier Garcia del Moral, was born in Logroño, Spain in 1978. Javier started working as a civil engineer in Madrid in 2003. Since then, he has built highways and bridges in places like Spain, Ireland, the Middle East, and the United States. In 2014, he founded the Wild Detectives Bookstore Bar, along with his longtime friend Paco Vique. He currently directs the bookstore with the help of many friends. In 2019, he also founded the Spanish restaurant Sketches of Spain. And Javier lives between Dallas and Barcelona. I'm so delighted to welcome both of you to be on the podcast today, and I'll now turn the mic over to Shelby. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah, and thank you, Javi, for joining us today on the podcast. I'll just begin with a couple questions about the bookstore. You opened the bookstore in 2014, and so you all have just had your seventh anniversary. Congratulations on that. I was wondering if you would tell us a bit about how this came about, how it is that you and Paco decided to open up a bookstore in the Oak Cliff area of Dallas. Well, first of all, Shelby and Sarah and Rainer, thank you so much for the invitation. Um, feel privileged to be part of this very nice series that you have going on. Okay. Um, and then, as far as the question, so I mean, I always wanted to. I mean, after having the store open for so long, it's been almost a desire for me to say that I always wanted to have a bookstore, and it's one of one of those dreams that you end up making true. But honestly, the Wild Detectives was a very accidental event. I mean, it's, it's pretty much, a, I suppose, a result of a long-term friendship between my friend Paco and I. And it, it, it started as a regular casual conversation between Paco and I in, in our numerous trips and visits to different bars around the world. Paco and I met in Ireland in 2004, both being engineers. And we became very, very close friends very quickly. And the, all the things that really cemented that, that friendship were literature, traveling, going out, you know, to bars, meeting people, and that kind of thing that was always very important for us even before we met each other. So after so many years, you know, doing all these things together, I moved to, I mean, I was in Dublin, then I went to Austin, Texas, I ended up in Dallas and then Paco actually moved to Dallas a little after I moved to Austin, Texas. So years went by and at some point we found ourselves living in the same town again, which happened to be Dallas. And we just decided to, you know, create this space that could somehow express, combine and put together all those things that were so important for us, for our friendship and for also ourselves as individuals. And I guess at that point we didn't really have like a very clear idea of the mission we had or all the you know the achievements that we really want to get with the bookstore 
but we had, I think, a very good idea about the things that we wanted to be important in the space. You know, the type of books that we wanted to display, the type of the type of events, and obviously having a bar in the middle of it. So those those three things, like the the bar, the books, or the or the type of books that we wanted, and the programming, were from the beginning a very very important part of the whole project. Um, and I guess once we open it, then the whole thing started to mutate just along the neighborhood, along the people that came to visit and all those things. So I always have a hard time, like you just saw, to answer this question, how these things started. But it's just because it was something that it wasn't, you know, very well planned from the beginning. It was just, you know, a number of things that happened along almost 10 years since we met until we actually put it together, you know. That's interesting. So it sounds like it, it kind of it started with this spark of an idea and then evolved organically, like you said, with with the people who came to visit and all that kind of thing. Um, the, the name of the bookstore, The Wild Detectives, is, comes from uh, Roberto Bolaño's book titled The Savage Detectives in English. And so I was wondering, what is it about this novel that you and, and Paco love so much? Uh, I mean, I think the book play uh, playing different levels in terms of the bookstore. Like in the one hand, I read that book because Paco recommended it to me first years years before we opened the bookstore when we were both living in Ireland. The book tells a story about two friends that mainly, you know, in a very simplistic way of putting the book, it's just two friends that really all they need to get through life is poetry, you know. You have these two individuals that are based on real characters that you realize that for them that's really the only really thing they need to get through life you know and it goes on about different things about many different characters and obviously you can talk about the you know the novel structure of the book and the importance that the book itself had for like latin american literature or for bolaño himself but i guess for us it was you know it, it really illustrated how important those things that sometimes for people go unnoticed in life in our case you know literature or music or things like that were very important for our personal development and i think this book focused on poetry illustrated that very well and then the fact that we're two friends you know with really it's not that they achieve a lot in life you know when they when you talk about the book and in that case, Park and I, which is just the same, you know, to like everyday persons that have these fixations on things that became very close friends thanks to those same things, you know. So that's why uh, I think the book played a really good role. At the same time, he's a Latin American writer. We're both from Spain. So obviously the language was a good part of it. And the translation, it was just about, I mean, we, I guess, I mean, obviously, Natasha Wimmer or the publisher company when they decided that translation I think is great but I felt like the wild you know ten wild was probably more appropriate for the story that we want that we had in mind you know and also it has this connotation which is not the exact title of the book so it was a combination of things that uh, we finally made us decide that name would you Describe the types of books readers can find in the store and what kinds of experience they might have if they were to visit. This is, of course, a question and an answer that would be uh, for listeners who are not local or who um, might have not simply been to the store yet. So, 
Well, first of all, like the book isn't like a very large bookstore. We carry about uh, between 1,200 and 1,400 titles at any given time. And the majority of this is contemporary fiction. That's pretty much our main selection. Then we have a little selection of books in Spanish, which are about maybe like 100 or so. And then there is another small selection of poetry. And then the contemporary fiction, I say contemporary fiction because I pretty much include nonfiction there as well. That, that's pretty much, that's, that's the main background of, of what we have. And we tend to select, I mean, we have all kinds of things. I mean, you can find really any title. But for the most part, the way we, we try to, to, to select our books is whether we have read the book or we know personally someone that has read the book and we trust his or her criteria to bring it over into the selection. We only dedicate maybe a portion of, I don't know, 10 titles for like new arrivals. And considering all the new books that arrive every weekend, that's a very, very limited section. So that allows us to have uh, even that, even the new books that, you know, sometimes we haven't read them. You can pretty much select those very well when you can choose so many, just so, so few of them, you know. And then, in terms of the main the main backbone of the fiction that we carry, we look a lot into Latin America for you know personal reasons. We have a really good uh, connections with uh, people in Mexico, in Colombia, in Guatemala, and places like that. And I tend to travel often to those areas, so that's pretty much you know what what drives my selection. When I go to a place like that, obviously you're always meeting people in the literary industry, whether it's writers, editors, you know, all kinds of people. And those are the people that really also know what's going on. And that's pretty much what, what makes the cut. You know, I talk to these people, I sometimes meet the writers. We also try to be consistent about the people that we bring and the titles that we carry. So if we invite you to the bookstore, we carry your book and that particular sort of literature as well. I think we tend to gravitate into literature of the self you know we don't do we don't carry a lot of like three novels or like action-packed uh, literature i think we tend more to you know reflections understanding the self understanding you know the others that type of literature that tries to explain the everyday events that happens to all of us you know so but being that said we also carry a lot of dystopian novels that uh, could be considered sometimes science fiction. And, and we are, I like to think that we are open-minded. I'm pretty sure we, for some people, we might be short-sighted, but I like to think that we try to, you know, accommodate different different ways of uh, view and, and also to stay relevant. I mean, I think it's, obviously, you cannot disregard classics and what made, what, what is, what you read today, what made that happen. But at the same time, we try to be active, to be relevant, and I think it's very important for that to, you know, always be on top of what's coming out, what are people thinking, writing, and it's just important to understand where they come from, to understand what's happening right now. And because we have a very limited number of books, we tend to prioritize, you know, the new voices that are coming out and just to give them a space. Because I think it's important, and I also have to admit that to me it's more fun. I mean, I just like to write people that I, you know, that I can enjoy them, that I can see what they're doing, that I can see how they're evolving, 
So there might be a little bit of you know selfishness on that, but but I think that that's important for a bookstore like ours that we don't work only as a you know as a transactional place when you go in and you buy an item and you leave. Our you know our intention with the bookstore is is much broader than that, and and the only way to be consistent with that is to you know focus about how you interact with that potential public and with the community that you serve. So it's for a bookstore like us, it would be suicidal to just bring a bunch of titles and just wait for people to come in and buy them, you know? I mean, and also it would be very contradictory. So one way of being consistent with this way of approaching the space and the intention of the space is to bring voices that are relevant, that are active, that are doing things and that are exposed to the, you know, to the present events. So that's that's why you know I think that influences a lot how we select the books that we carry. That's interesting because I think the the consistency that you're talking about brings in or gives I should say maybe the the bookstore a very distinct personality, you know, um, which a lot of most bookstores you have to say don't really have much of a personality. Um, where does your love of reading come from? So I mean. I think if I think backwards, I mean the uh, the most influential people that I had in my in my interest in reading were my aunts. I have three aunts, and two of them live together, and they don't have kids, and they all they do is like reading and watching movies. That's what they've been doing since I was a kid. And her house it was always full of books, all kinds of books, very very eclectic. I mean, one of them is a real diehard fan of science fiction. But you could also find Cortázar at home, so you can find a very, very, you know, open selection of books. And I gotta admit, though, that when I was a kid, they were trying to, you know, just get me into the love of reading. But I didn't really pick up strongly until until I was in high school. I remember in high school when I was in the first, I guess, when I was 15 year old. I really, for the first time, I had really bad grades in one one year. I was, I don't know, I guess I was a little confused or whatever. And it was a little bit of a situation at home. You know, my dad wasn't happy with it. And I found Solas in Lovecraft. I mean, I had a book of Lovecraft at home that I hadn't read before. And I started reading his stories, you know, about, you know, all these fantasy stuff and horror stories. And I realized that that's what I wanted to be during that time. Just, you know, in those stories, reading things that really took me someplace else because I wasn't very happy with my, you know, my being during that time. So I suppose it started there. And then I suppose almost everyone, it was just my friends. I was lucky enough to be around friends that also like reading. And we started change books. At some point, we moved into Milan Kundera, other writers that at that time, you know, were very influential in people like us. And that thing led to another. And at, that, at some point, you know, you realize that you're really looking forward to go to a bookstore and buy books and especially talk about books, you know, which is one of the things that I most enjoy, sometimes more even than reading the books. So you, you mentioned that you, as a, as a high school student, I guess, read Milan Kundera. So you, you were reading in translation, obviously. 
you might not have really thought much about the fact that you were reading in translation uh, at that time. I don't know. But my next question was going to be, you know, to ask about your your reading habits. Do you primarily read in Spanish language originals or do you read um, in translation either into English from other languages or into Spanish from other languages? How does that does that even figure into what you read? Yes, certainly. And and I think it's a really great question because only when I moved to Ireland to like a speaking, like an English speaking country, I, I became that conscious about, you know, reading books that had been translated when I was in high school or in college, I read whatever. And I really didn't. I mean, sometimes when you're reading a translation, it's impossible to not realize that it's been a, trans, that it's, that it's a translation, you know, just because the way it works, especially when it's not a great translation. But um, but for us, for me, I mean, and then in Spain, I don't know like the the, the ratio, but there is there is a lot of translations. I mean, I would say it's probably more than Spanish. Maybe not right now, but when I was younger, I would almost say that you would find more translated books than actually books originally written in Spanish. And and then when I moved to Ireland and start master a little more the English language, then then you realize that well I could read in English and maybe enjoy this author in his you know in his native uh, language. And and I actually have friends that are very you know strict about this, and they say that if you if you know English, you need to read the book in English. I never really appreciated that because I think you lose a lot of things as well when you don't master the language that well. That being that said, there are certain things that I read in English and I appreciate that I read them in English without being translated into Spanish. But then I still buy things that have been translated into, you know, into Spanish from English. If it's a translation that comes from any other language that is not English, I always read them in Spanish. I mean, I don't think I ever read like a Japanese author translate. Well, I probably have, but, but it's, it's very rare that I read someone that wrote in, in Japanese that has been trans translated into English. If, if if a translation happens, I tend to read it in Spanish. And then I said to myself, because, you know, I, I learned English when I was, well, I went to school when I was 14 years old, but only when I moved to Dublin is when I really mastered a little more the language. So I'm not bilingual. And to me, it's a very different effort to read in English as opposed to Spanish. And I would say that at the end of the year, for every book I read in English, I might have read four or five in Spanish. And it's just the way it is, you know. I mean, I, I just enjoy more reading in Spanish. Um, and whether it's a translation from English to Spanish or from any other language, than reading in a language that is not my, my native language, you know. Well, that makes sense it, in in terms of the uh, the amount of work that you have to put in to read in a language outside of your your native language, your mother tongue. Since we're on the subject of translation, I know you said you you're you're not a translator. You haven't had any trans uh, training in translation, and but you do read works in translation. What are your general thoughts on translation and the value of reading in translation? Well, uh, for someone like me, translation has been crucial in my understanding of literature. If all the books that I read when I was a kid, in fact, I mean, I would say until I was, I don't know, 25, 26, probably 80% of what I read were translations. 
I mean, it's just the way most of us in my generation was brought up in literature. We read everything, I mean, American, especially American, French, and English writers. So I'm still, you know, shocked when I see the numbers of the literature that is translated in the U.S. I know it's an English-speaking country, and obviously that, that's huge. But considering, you know, when when I look at the, the books that form me as a as a reader, I can't believe that most of those books go completely unnoticed to most of the U.S. public. So to me, translation is an activity as important, as crucial as editing or writing. I mean, it's just for, for people like us in, in Spain, that has been a country that I always have been looking into Europe uh, or, or the U.S. for just for literature, which is there is another line of thought there that is that is funny, you know, the way because Spain, particularly Spain, you have all Latin America to look at, and we always decided to look into Europe or you know, or the U.S. more than than to Latin America, that which has changed recently, but is amazing. Also, it's almost the same disregard that you see in the U.S. for translations that you see in Spain for Latin American writing, or what it used to be. I mean, now I don't want to talk absolutes, but at least when I was a kid, it was much easier to find a book from Hulebeck than what it was to find a book, you know, from, well, I'm, I'm not going to say Vargas Llosa, but any other, of like Juan Saer, an Argentinian writer, is pretty much unknown in in Spain, you know, and it's, you know, it's very hard to understand. But, but it's, it's the way it is, and it's the way the publishing industry works. And at the same time, the publishing industry they need to sell books, and they know that I have more chances to sell a book from Hulebeck than from Sire, and that's fact. So, I mean, we all have to survive, and I respect that as well. Do you think that um, has any to, anything to do with the vestiges of the, the colonial system? Well, that's a complex question. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, I, I imagine there are many different factors that influence in this but one of them certainly is that spain traditionally has been looked down to latin america and look up to the us and the rest of europe it's just the way i think the the, the years of dictatorship really damaged our self-esteem and that's a result of that we try to look down to the people we intended to you know colonize and then to, to look up to the people that apparently have more freedom or have more access to certain things that we never had before. So I think there are many factors that play into this situation. Uh, because in a way, it's hard to understand. I mean, at the end, if you're a publisher, put out a book that needs translation, it's going to be always more expensive than a book that, had, that is already written in Spanish. But then you realize that Spain had a huge issue to accept the dialects in, in, in Latin America. We're trying to erase anything that doesn't sound Spanish as in Spain. And that still happens to this day. It's, it's, it's amazing how people, when they read books that have been published in Colombia, and you read like uh, press notes and people say, well, it's actually very funny to see how, this, how, how they left this way of speaking. And they say, they just did what you do in every book, you know? That's how people write and talk there. And they still see it as a folkloric way of literature. Some some people, I mean, that has changed a lot. 
that is a funny way how Spain interact and understood all these things, you know, over over the years. But luckily, that is changing quickly. I mean, now Spain, I think, I think it looks up to Latin America in terms of literature, which, which I mean, it is common sense. Going back to the bookstore a little bit, you um, at The Wild Detectives, you all have a lot of programming, um, several events a week, uh, cultural events, literary events. And then there's also the partnership with the High Festival Queretaro, where you bring in um, authors and, and scholars and artists and writers from um, from Latin America. And so I was wondering if you would talk a little bit about the motivation behind um, the events and the programming, specifically um, the High Festival Forum, which is now what you have at the Wild Detectives, and then a little bit about the uh, Queretaro, or rather the High Festival in general, in a broader sense. Well, in terms of the events uh, for a bookstore like ours, I mean, one of the things that we realized that we really wanted to achieve when we opened the bookstore, and this was after the fact we opened the bookstore, actually, but we realized that our space could serve as a really good vehicle to expand the people that actually read that type of books. I mean, if you look around, and I'm going to include the four of us in this conversation as people that typically read books and buy books, we probably buy a lot of books. I mean, a lot. And, and usually more than what we can read. And then there is also this huge amount of people that never buy a book. So by, by expanding a little bit, you know, that spectrum of people that read and buy books, you're actually creating a lot of books being bought, you know. So we realized that our space could act very well as a vehicle for people that don't really have, and maybe never set food in a bookstore or always really didn't find those spaces for them to accidentally get them into buy a book, you know, and maybe read it. So our space always worked very well in that regard. And for that, the bar obviously is a really important element because it creates this hangout atmosphere when people, you know, can come in and, and enjoy these, you know, books that maybe never cross their mind to buy. And then you have the events that also, they might be catered to people that are already engaged in these sort of activities that are also very, very important to get new people through the door and to get them talking about those things. So those events for the public, for the authors that are coming, I think is what would keep things moving. When you when you have when you have like a writer talking about a book, when you have uh, an author talking like new music, when you have all these things, obviously you have the first part which is the experiencing the event, and then you have the second part which is almost as important as the first one when you have all these people in the same room aligned about what they saw so they can discuss it. So those events for us have been always, you know, crucial into the philosophy and the personality of our bookstore. And at the same time, for me as an individual, is what really carried me over into this phase, you know, of doing the bookstore. Paco and I, that's how we cemented our, our, our relationship, going to bars together and going to events together and then meeting people and, and realizing that the people that are actually writing a book and talking about a book is not that different from you. So uh, when I was a kid, I always had this vision about writers and musicians. I'm from a small town, as if they were, you know, I mean, I never considered that anyone could be something like that, that you had to be touched by a special thing or living in a very special environment. 
I mean, now with obviously with the internet and other things, you realize that it's not like that. But events is a really good opportunity to have these people talking about their work and discussing that one-to-one -one with, you know, normal people like me or anybody that goes into the bookstore. And a good example of that is the Hay Festival. I, I discovered Hay Festival through through a friend uh, who, who is a writer, Eduardo Rabasa, who I met him in Mexico, in Mexico through another friend of mine who is an editor in Spain. And uh, one day go, hanging out there, he told me, hey, you guys come to this festival, it's great, there is music, there is literature, there is journalism, all these things that he realized that we were supporting in our own bookstore. And I attended Querétaro, and I met the, the organizers, like Sara and Cristina Rodriguez. And at some point, I mean, sometimes the ignorance makes you a little bit more ambitious than what you should be. And when I when I went to the festival for the first time, I was I was seeing that sort of thing all cliff, you know, because we're friends with the Texas Theater, we're friends with other people that have venues. And I was thinking, how cool would it be to do this, you know, in Oak Cliff? And you realize that in order to do something like that, you have to have a huge structure. You know, Querétaro has at the end of the festival about 100,000 people having gone through the whole festival, which is huge. And obviously, you compare that to what we do here in Dallas, it's a totally different ballgame. But anyway, on that, you go in there and you meet all these people and you realize that they are as eager as you are to make those things happen. Because when you do events like this, it's because you really like to do them. There is not a lot of financial reward on things like those, you know. So just like that, we started talking. I pitched them the idea because I think it was a great opportunity for them to have some presence in the US because although they have some, it's not like they are established as they are in Latin America or in Spain or other places in the world or in the UK, of course. And then for me, it was a really, interesting vehicle to bring all these writers, you know, from Latin America or from other parts of the world, from the US as well, or, or the UK, and through people that I already know that we have this personal connection, and, you know, that we don't have to go through a lot of, uh, I don't want to say trust issues, but when you do events like that, you have to trust the person in front of you, because you're putting authors that are important to you in their hands, you know, you send them over to Dallas, and we take over them. And if they don't have a good experience here, that will reflect on them as well. So we create this sort of, you know, trust circle about, okay, if you go to Dallas, I know that we'll take care of you. And people, when they came here, they had a good time as well. And I think it's a beautiful way to show Dallas to many of these people that at the same time, when they think about Dallas, they might think about, you know, shotguns and desert places, because whether we like it or not, Texas, in Europe, and in many places in the world, it has a vision, you know. So I, I think it was just a beautiful way to, you know, with this friendship, try to get things moving forward and backward from, from the U.S. and Latin America. And we started uh, four years ago. This is this will be the fourth one this year. So, um, and so far so good. Even last year with the pandemic, we were able to pull like an online event with them. And we have a really good number of attendees on the on the event, so it's that's been a, one of the most, you know, rewarding experiences that we've had since we opened the bookstore, the High Festival thing. And um, for for people who are not familiar with the High Festival, can you give just a little bit of a background, a little bit of a oh, yeah, history? Yeah, so so the High Festival started in UK. It's, it's, it's in, the first one happened in in, in Wales. 
And from them, he migrated to different places. Christina and Isara, the two people that I deal the most with, are the ones that are in charge of all the Latin American operations. And it's a festival, sometimes it's hard to describe because it's huge. And when, especially the ones in Colombia or in Mexico or in Peru, you know, you're looking at festivals with maybe 100 guests, at least two or three Nobel Prizes, like very, very well-regarded people, music, uh, activism, journalism, literature, filmmaking. And you have all these people from all these different disciplines, very broad disciplines, and you have them discussing each other. And that also evolves into, you know, workshops and places where people actually, local people can go to attend, um, like new writers, new voices. So you have all, all this ecosystem about very new people and then people very well established in what they do, discussing together and having all these kind of different events where you can hear about, you know, a journalism that went over to uh, one particular country to cover a very, very specific issue. And then the next hour you have like the director of the New York Times talking about, you know, the Trump campaign. So you have all these different ways of approaching culture that I think it, it speaks very much to what we try to do at the bookstore, you know, just to open up and try to, to treat culture, whether it's literature, music, journalism, try, try to treat it as a way of understanding better your surroundings the people that are different from you and in the end understanding better yourself because all these things in the world have this sort of like common line that the more you consume them the you have a better understanding of what's around you you know and chances are that you will be able to understand a little better that person that seems completely you know antagonized from what you think um, so I think there is a lot of, to, you know, a lot of affinity between what they do and what we try to do at the bookstore. You mentioned uh, last year with the pandemic closures that the the high festival was on online virtually, being held virtually, and that that went over really well. And at the bookstore, you all did something else that was really, I think, very inventive during the pandemic closures, and that is that you opened up this. Um, quote unquote online travel agency can you talk about that and how that went over with with the reading public <laughs> yeah that was a little prank that we throw at the pandemic we just had to have some fun at that point <laughs> everything was so sad yeah, well that's i think actually the, the 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 travel agency as a bookstore started before the pandemic that's something that a friend of us from an advertising agent sometimes they use us as guinea pigs and they come up with ideas and say, hey, what do you think if we, we do stuff like this or like that? And we're always open to that. And they they discuss about, you know, at some point we all have, you know, exposed or heard about this analogy about reading and traveling, which I think is very accurate. You know, reading a book sometimes is as, as intense as just going to someplace else. So with that in mind, they decided to take that to a different level and try to act as a travel agency with offers, special trips, and things like that, you know? We did that back then when that happens, we didn't have the online platform. So it was a little bit, it was, it was a nice idea, but we didn't really, couldn't land it very well. Because people had to order the books and they would have to order for them and then bring them over to the store to pick them up. So it wasn't really like a very efficient way of doing things. So that was done which is it happens like all the things that we do every year and then when the pandemic hit 
the bookstore join uh, bookshop or which is this platform for independent bookstores that they they do all the back end and you have your your profile there and when people buy from your profile you get a fee a really good fee from the book you sell so it, it works as an as an online app for your own bookstore so that's when we thought that was just in the middle of the pandemic you know at that point at that point things look really bad because that that's when you know we had no much information about the virus it seemed that you could be exposed just by touching something you know and and well in my mind i was thinking okay we sell books that people touch before they buy them we do events where people actually condense in a very small space and we do bars which are completely shut down so i know looking back obviously it seemed a little drastic but honestly at that point i was thinking i don't know if we'll ever open this back again but it, it, it seems pretty tough and then we, we realized that we had this this travel agency thing and just to have some fun, we say, okay, let's just, well, I mean, the, there were very few things worse than having a bookstore back then, or at least a bookstore like ours. And one of those was having a travel agency because, I mean, they couldn't go anywhere back then. So we decided to do this bizarre announcement where we say, okay, guys, we have to shut down the bookstore and we are becoming a travel agency because it seems to be the thing now, you know, obviously very preposterous thing. And, and the funny thing is many people believed it, you know, and uh, many people on social media realized, oh my goodness, I can't believe you guys are doing this, sharing the bookstore to do a travel agency, this is crazy, you know, a lot of people actually reacted really sad. And it was a, a very moving experience because you realize how many people really counted on the space and felt, you know, devastated that was, that was shutting down. And then as things were coming through, people realized that it was a prank, and if you if you actually hit the link, you end, you ended up in the travel agency. But when you actually were trying to buy a flight, you would be end up buying a book, you know. So that was that was the that was the joke. But it helped us quite a bit because that that's just when we launched the online platform. A lot of people visited it, so they bought books. And for us, during those three months that we shut down. The online platform was that kept us alive and were able to pay, you know, for the expenses, for the fixed expenses. And luckily, we were able to just get back into July, August and open back again. But yeah, but that was that was a very, a very, you know, moving experience about especially seeing all these people that really appreciate the space. You know, and they, something, you don't always realize that until something like this happens. Some people got offended, but not many. Right? You know, that always happens too. It's almost a good sign. Well, it's it's really uh, clever and cute, actually, the way you all have it set up because you um, go on the website and it says, where would you like to travel? And you pick on, on the map, right? You pick um, a destination, Paris or, uh, I don't know, Colombia or uh, someplace in Russia or whatever. And then that takes you to another page where there are these books listed depending on the on the city that you're traveling to books that that where the city of your destination figure prominently in the book and then you can take your travel through through reading so the way y'all put it together i thought worked really well um and then there's something else that that you have done you and andres de la casa who's the branding manager for wilder texas that y'all have done recently and that is publish a book together illustrated book um, titled Reading Quirks, Weird Things That Bookish Nerds Do. And I was wondering, how did that come about? 
Yeah, no, that, that, that's another funny chapter on the bookstore. Well, that was a, a friend, Andres. He, he, I mean, we go back a long time, Andres and I. We're friends from high school. And he moved to help with the bookstore uh, in 2015. So he's been involved with the bookstore since the beginning. And at that time, he was like, obviously, the brand director for the bookstore and tried to figure out things just to, to reach the public and to... And to do what I mentioned earlier, to expand that people that, you know, get exposed to reading and books and things like that. And one day he, well, he was seeing about, I think he was seeing a podcast about somebody talking about reading quirks, you know, these weird things that people that read a lot do, whether it is, you know, bending the page or all these things. And um, so so he came to me with the idea, what do you think if we try to write a comic about this? And we talked to Laura, who is the illustrator, who is, She's the sister of uh, of the wife of another good friend of Andres and I, so who is also friends from high school. So it's all connected in a weird way. And we knew that she she was a really good illustrator. We already worked with her in the past because she drew the menu for us, and it was very easy to work with her. So he said, maybe you and I can write the stories, and then every week, and she can do all the all the uh, all the drawings and everything. And I was very, you know, intimidated by the fact that we had to come up with a story for more than a year every week because it's very, it's very hard, you know. And obviously, I knew I was going to fail on that, but he did not. So I only came up with a few stories, but Andres and Laura, he kept just coming up with stories and stories. And and really, the the book is mainly Andres' book and Laura's book. I took, I, I intervened a little bit of it, but it's, it's mainly their book. And a friend of mine in, in 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 Spain, Julian, who is the guy that introduced me to Eduardo that I mentioned earlier, he runs a publishing company in Spain. When he saw them, he said, I think this could be a beautiful book. And he's the one that triggered that idea about making maybe making a book. So once we had enough stories, which I think we came up, we were for more than a year and a half doing that. So it was a lot of work. And he proposed about doing a book and we decided to put the book together first in Spain. So actually, we wrote the stories first in English, and then we translated them into Spanish. We published all them in, in Spanish, and then once we put it out, we created a few stories, a few additional stories. We translate those back into English, and then we did the book in English uh, with the help of, of Tim Bell in publishing, because they acted as a, as a distributor. And in the in the end, all plays almost in the same way. That that book, I mean, it, it started as a way to, you know, seduce this type of public that heard about books, but they feel they are not for them. And with these short stories, they realize, oh, but this is, this is pretty accessible. I mean, let's give it a try, you know? So the book actually plays that role too. And every year we do something like that that seems a little bit off from what a regular bookstore did. Like this year, we're working with a Venezuelan artist to launch a, a, a record. So he's gonna, we're just gonna put a record together. He 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 has he's recording the music, obviously, you know, not us. But we always we always do these these sort of projects, you know, that are a little off or unpredictable from a bookstore, because at the end, bookstores like ours they play a different role than just a shop, which is trying to put culture out there because everything talks to each other. And people that listen to music tend to read books, and people that tend to read books tend to watch movies or going to shows or discussion. Everything is connected in that way, and that's why we just try to be active and open to all those things. 
and we just try to force ourselves to do different things every year, you know, which is the only way to keep moving forward, I guess. So it sounds like culture and community are key components to what you're trying to do uh, with the bookstore and then also with the, the new restaurant, um, Sketches of Spain. You want to talk about that just a little bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that that's another, I mean, when you are a Spanish person living abroad, there's always a situation that you think about opening a restaurant. I don't, I don't think any any Spaniard that has lived abroad for some time it has doesn't cross his mind to open a restaurant. It happens to every single human being from Spain, and obviously it happened to us too. So, and and this is again also a product of friendship. Paco and I obviously had this idea about maybe do like a little thing of food here, in, especially in the neighborhood, because we had already done the bookstore and things were going okay. And we have this also longtime friend Iñaki, who is a chef from San Sebastian. And he, he had been at the bookstore in a few times, helping out doing events. Because sometimes we did food events as well and, you know, different activities. And we pitched him the idea about doing a pincho bar, which is like space. It's a, it's a traditional space that you find in the north of Spain. Uh, it has to do more than the actual food itself with the way you consume the food. Like pincho bars are bars that you go from one to another with a group of friends. Like if you go to my hometown, you see this group of, you know, uh, from 15-year-old to 80-year-old, and you have these groups of people. Like my hometown is a little school, and it's just men with men, women with women. I mean, even to this day, it's a little bit like that. But but it's I mean I can tend to I feel it so so moving, you know, to see this group of like 80-year-old friends that have been in the hometown, going from one bar to another, and you have a wine and you little thing to eat, and you move to the next one. So we love that concept, and obviously you cannot replicate that here because it's only one bar. But to put that food out there on the bar and and just in a way triggers people drinking and talking, which is again one of the main things that we try to do at the bookstore. You know, just to get people in a particular environment discussing things that you know across their mind. So the the restaurant also plays that role. It's just uh, a way of bringing a different culture into the U.S. The Spanish food, which is already represented in Dallas, but for like the Metroplex is almost eight million people, and you only have like six Spanish restaurants or something like that. It's very you know very little. So for us being from Spain and knowing a little bit about the food there, obviously, which is this area that it will be very consistent with the things that we try to do, you know, something that we experience in our personal lives to put it out and just to have other people enjoy them and discuss it and just, you know, interact with each other. And yeah, it's been also very tough because we opened just 30 days before the pandemic hit. So it wasn't very good timing. But because we do paellas and things like that that are a little easy to get to go, that got us through the first two months okay. And then we'll reopen back and actually it's been really good since then. People really appreciate it. So I have uh, one last question or actually two. Uh, the first one is what are you reading right now? And the second one is which, which book that you've read recently would you recommend to our listeners? Um, the- so the last book that I would recommend, the most, I mean, you know, I, particularly in the last month, I've been reading like five books, and and I don't know that I would recommend any of them. 
So, <laughs> well, no, that's not true. But things, things that come to mind, one of the greatest novels I read lately that I really enjoy a lot, but I, I think it's being translated as we, well, both are actually being translated as we speak. One is uh, Solenoid by Mircea Cartarescu. He's a Romanian writer. And he has this long novel that is now being translated, like which I'm very, I feel very proud that I live in the same city that the publishing company that is doing such an ambitious work is doing. It's a, almost a thousand page novel, very crazy, very unpredictable. It's one of those things that happen every, every once in a while. I mean, you have a lot of people that try to put this long and definitive novel about something, but very, in a, in a very few occasions happen. And honestly, when I read this book, I was profoundly moved by, by what I read. It was something, something new, something different. And that is coming up with the Bellum Publishing, I think, in a few months, maybe more, maybe next year, but soon. I read in Spanish another long novel as well that I enjoy a lot, which is um, Nuestra Parte de Noche from Mariana Enriquez. She actually has two books in English. One is Things We Lost in the Fire, and the other one, I think, is called The Dangers of a Smoking in Bed, Short Stories. And this is her first, like, long novel, and it's amazing. It's kind of like horror, but at the same time, touches about, you know, all, all the recent history in Argentina uh, with many different characters interacting with each other. Very funny. Well, funny, funny might not be the perfect word for it, but it's, but it's really, you know, it's, it's actually easy to go through. And one of the things I noticed with this novel, when, when you work somehow in the literary world, in my case as a bookseller, or a writer or an editor, at some point you realize that you almost have lost part of the joy of reading because there's, there's always something, you know, beyond the actual act of reading involved in the book that you're looking into, you know, whether it is someone you know, something that is so recommended that you need to read. But there's always a little bit of it that can like, it's not like when you read before. And one of the things I noticed with this book is it was just going back to when, you know, you had this summer long or when you were younger, you can spend hours and hours reading books, which is just to see what happened, you know? And that, that, that's what happened to me in that book. I mean, it was very, very, very enjoyable. And then I, I, I also read the book, this is only in Spanish, and we might actually translate it to English. It's called El Peón, The Pound. And it tells the story about uh, different pounds in history people that have been used by the powers for their own benefit. And it's all told by the story of one of the most famous or infamous pounds in the history of uh, the, the Spanish dictatorship. It was a chess player called Arturito Pomar. Arturito Pomar was one of the most brightest chess players in Spanish history. But he was used as a pound from, from Franco, from the dictator. He has a famous game with um, with uh, Fisher, with the, with the US player. And throughout this game, the book tells the story of different pounds used in history by different powers in different countries. So it's, it's like a non-fiction book, but it's, but it's beautiful. Oh, and I also, there is another great book that I read lately, also a long book, called, and I, this is coming in English soon. It's called The Infinite in, um, in Hunku, which is a, is a little bit of, is how they used to do the books in the ancient history. Is an essay about the invention of books as an object. Uh, the, the, the writer is Irene Vallejo, and he talks about the origin of the books, mostly in the Roman and, and, and 
Greco-Roman times, but it tells how how the books have been so influential in human development in the last almost you know five thousand years. So and it's, the, when I tell about the book, I think it seems impossible that an 800 page in this particular context is so interesting, but it is. It's, and and it's, it's, been a, it's been a huge hit in Spain, huge, like 40,000 copies, something like that. Amazing for a book like that. So, yeah, and I don't know. And I mean, you ask me in the next 10 minutes, I may mention uh, different books. But. Well, thank you. No, those are those are some some great suggestions. I appreciate that. And thank you also for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the invitation. Thank you so much, Shelby, for hosting today's episode. And thank you so much, Javi, for being with us. This has truly been so fascinating to listen to this conversation. And it's really wonderful also to see how in some ways you have translated your civil engineering abilities of building highways and bridges around the world to actually creating bridges between cultures here in Dallas. So that's really wonderful to see through literature at the Wild Detectives and now also bringing a little taste of Spain uh, through the restaurant. So all best wishes to you. Thank you again for being with us. And I look forward also to visit the bookstore soon. It's a little far away from me, but I really want to visit as soon as I can. Thank you. Thank you so much for your words. Beautiful words. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Translation Center, please visit translation.utdallas.edu and keep up with us on our social media accounts, which can be found on our website. Stay safe and take care. We'll see you next time.